Welcome to the Michigan Minds Podcast, a quick and informative analysis of today's top issues from University of Michigan faculty. How is technology helping us in the, in the current uh, COVID-19 outbreak? Well, uh, clearly absent video conferencing technology, we wouldn't really be in business. We should be very grateful for the work that was done 30, 40 years ago to pioneer these technologies and prepare us for the emergency that we're in today. We're also using a lot of other tools to a greater degree. One example is even within my own leadership group at the School of Information, we've adopted Slack and Trello to orchestrate our daily activities. You know, Slack basically to give us a special space away from email so we can see fast-breaking messages amongst us. And Trello is a task tracking system that allows us to basically march cards across the board to ultimately to conclusion so that we're not losing track of of what we're up to. And interestingly, I think those are both innovations that will continue after the crisis has passed. In terms of ways people are adjusting on a social level and using the technology, I'm, I'm getting a lot of stories of people that are convening virtual dinners, virtual happy hours. I actually hosted a virtual happy hour for some of my friends the other night. It was very successful. Uh, the faculty in my school have actually organized a virtual poker tournament. It does not involve any money. It's just bragging rights, but they found a uh, you know, an online tournament platform. They wrote directions for it. One of the faculty members is going to be the host, and we'll we'll see how that goes. The university did twenty one thousand blue jeans conferences on the on the first day of remote instruction in a day compared to a thousand in a week under normal circumstances. So we're definitely we're definitely exercising these modalities much more than we ever have in the past. And the big changes is really the amount that we're using them and the fact that we're also extending that to our social lives. My expectation is by introducing all of the faculty at once to, to these online instruction modes, they are discovering things about it. They might've had sort of stereotypical notions or, or maybe even negative notions about it before. And I think they're discovering possibilities and potential. One, one illustration of that is we conducted a fully virtual PhD defense the, the first week of online instruction. And one of the discoveries was that faculty found it very useful to have this side chat channel to share questions with one another and also to instruct the audience in what was going on. So, you know, typically in a defense, there might be some very brisk and rigorous questioning, which audience members might think is unfair or cruel, but through the side channel, the faculty were able to explain this is exactly what should happen in defense. Is the candidate was prepared for this. It doesn't mean that committee member disliked the candidate. It's, you know, so there, there were some uh, pedagogical discoveries that I think were a kind of a silver lining in the, in the whole business. In terms of the kind of embodied energy of social interaction, a, lo a lot of that energy consumption and greenhouse gas emission is associated with air travel frequently as academics. The way we convene is by all flying off to someplace, and that's a very greenhouse gas intensive activity. And people have advocated for years that a way of addressing some of these emissions consequences is to sort of dematerialize things and move more into these virtual modes. And I think the the crisis has sharpened our attention and focus. I've just participated in a conference that went virtual this week, and 
you know, for a large part, it was about as good an experience as we would have had face to face. We don't have the opportunity to, you know, sit over a table and break bread together the way we would had we all been at the at the conference venue. But I think people are discovering that they have alternatives, and the more those get used, the the better we'll be in terms of you know reducing dependence on airline travel in in particular. You can already see that emission levels are way down. China, Northern Europe, the United States is having some of the clearest skies in in history. One area of impact is definitely around use of social media for conveying content and information. And I think this is just, again, bringing to the fore the criticality of understanding what's what's fact and verified and what's rumor and speculation. And I think it reinforces our belief that the creation of the Center for Social Media Responsibility at the School of Information was a good idea. And we will continue our efforts to try to make the media platforms more accountable for the quality of the, of the content that they're disseminating. The increased use of these mediated modalities creates the possibility for people to gather more data on us. I think clearly Zoom looks into the background and keeps track of certain parameters on the, the machine that it's running on and the network that it's running on, I, I suppose, to provide performance feedback to the firm, but those could also be taken as behavioral traces and you know, perhaps put to more instrumental or even various use. I've seen in recent days publicity about firms that have been using cell phone records, so not individually identifiable cell phone records, but just in aggregate to demonstrate whether people are complying with stay-at-home or reside-in-place measures. And actually created geographic representation of the U.S. where they color-coded each state by the degree to which the data suggested that people were conforming with these orders. And you can actually drill down to the to the county level to see, for example, in the state of Michigan, which counties have social distance more as a measure of, say, week over week change in the amount of movement associated with cell phones broadly, not any specific cell phone. And so I think that you're going to see more things like that. I mean, these things were going on all the time, and a lot of these data were collected for performance reasons, and now we're seeing them put to, you know, perhaps a more pro-social or, or informative use. A couple of things that the public should keep track of. Social media is not a definitive source of information. It is a way to connect with others, but it is also a way for unverified information to become rapidly disseminated and perhaps in some cases accepted as fact. So I always counsel that people take everything they read on social media with a grain of salt and pay a lot of attention to, you know, what makes information authoritative. So if I see a tweet from a colleague who's a faculty member at the School of Public Health at Harvard with an attached preprint of a study she did with her colleagues at Wuhan on epidemiological characteristics of the outbreak there, I'm going to take that a lot more seriously than some random person who, you know, has done some back of the envelope calculation about when we're going to run out of hand sanitizer. But places like Twitter and Reddit and so forth, you'll see, you'll see this whole gamut from highly credible, very authoritative to totally sketchy, completely useless. And, and they have a, a tendency to be presented as equal and people have to be more critical in their consumption of that media. I'd say more, more broadly with respect to all media consumption, it's probably best if people moderate their media consumption right now. There is nothing about the 
unfolding a crisis that requires, I would say, less than a 24-hour cycle of attention. You know, the unfolding pandemic is mounting day by day, but, you know, keeping CNN on in the background is just going <laughs> to agitate you and send you into a panic. You can check in once a day at your three or four authoritative sources. You can even go look at your subreddits if you want to, but I, I don't think it's a good idea that people live on these things right now. The faculty in the School of Information have all managed to make the conversions. The students have followed them. My sense is that a faculty may have a lower bar for success than students do. The faculty may regard it as a, a positive outcome that they were actually able to do this, especially given the, the short notice that was in, imposed on them. My guess is that the students have a slightly higher standard because they're comparing this new online experience to what they would have had residentially and, and specifically for, for graduating students. I think a lot of their orientation of this is going to be colored by what is undoubtedly the bitter disappointment of losing their, their senior final term. I think the student experience has been tempered by, by some of those things. They've got a, a set of anxieties around grades that the university's done, taken some steps to ameliorate. Some of these students are reintegrating with their with their families, you know, for a 20-year-old college senior to have to go back home and, you know, live in the basement again or whatever. That's a, that's a disappointing experience. So, you know, everyone's making adjustments. I think the faculty have done a great job of answering the call to do this monumental task of moving the university's entire curriculum online and really in the space of less than a week. I think the students are doing their bit. They're going along with it. They understand why this sacrifice is being made. I think for them, it, it, it is a stiffer cost than it is for some of the rest of us. With respect to how faculty can continue to engage with the public around their research, you know, obviously social media is a key opportunity. I've, I've been impressed with the way the School of Public Health at the University of Michigan has used Twitter, for example, as a channel to communicate exhaustive and definitive information from Michigan experts on the unfolding pandemic. I think that's a great public service and definitely in the, in the model of what President Schlissel has envisioned as the university's public impact. You see it in smaller ways, other experts around campus using social media either to comment on things that other people have said or to offer their own contributions. I think everyone is, is doing their part in, in using the channels available to them pretty effectively. Thank you for listening to the Michigan Minds podcast, a production of the University of Michigan. Join the conversation on social media with hashtag UMichImpact.